Welcome back to the show, friends. This week, I am bringing you another wonderful and inspiring guest. This week, I'm introducing you to Beth Probst, who is a plus-size, mediocre runner, according to herself, who started running after a few too many mojitos and declaring to her friends that she was training for a half marathon, which at the time, she was not. I love that. (laughs) Just a few months later, she did cross the finish line. After a decade of racing, she published her first book, It Could Be Worse, A Girlfriend's Guide for Runners Who Detest Running. In addition to tactical running tips for plus-size runners, this is a story about an ordinary gal redefining what success looks like and the power of showing up for yourself. In just a moment, I'm so excited to introduce you to my new friend, Beth. Hello there, beautiful friend. I'm your host, Kaya, a cattle rancher turned accidental life coach after embarking on my own health journey, losing over 100 pounds, but most importantly, rebuilding my relationship with myself. Now I am more on fire than ever to empower others to create a healthy life that they love from the inside out by sharing the tools, tips, and strategies that I've learned and continue to learn along the way mindset, health, body image, self-love, entrepreneurship, and more. We're here to chat about climbing the mountains of life all while finding joy in the journey. Welcome to the Climbing with Coach Kaya podcast. Now let's get climbing. Welcome to the show, Beth. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. I am so excited to chat with you. I have so many questions about you and your story and I guess, you know, I already gave our, our listeners a little bit of an intro into you, who declares herself as a plus-size mediocre runner, but I'm curious, how would you introduce yourself to someone for the first time? What are the things that you are most passionate about? Um, let's see. First and foremost, I'm a mom, so I have a seven, eight-and-a-half-year-old boy every day he seems to be getting older he is by far the center of my universe we actually tried to adopt that because I thought I couldn't get pregnant and then like so many people I got pregnant right after I live in a super rural town in northern Wisconsin so way northern Wisconsin next to Lake Superior Um, we don't have a stoplight in our county Um, I grew up rural I love living um, in rural Wisconsin and my suburban friends often make fun of me and I'm like gals, you are missing out. Um, this is where it's at. So <laughs> love, it. um, love that. I live on a lake. I am super competitive, but I'm really trying to define like what success is and, and really just trying to level myself up. I'm an Enneagram one for whatever that's worth for your Enneagram friends. Married, uh, have a dog. I lease chickens in the summer, so I would call myself a lazy wannabe farmer. Um, <laughs> I love that. I grew up on a hobby farm. And we had a lot of livestock growing up just as pets, Um, but now I live on a small lake lot and we get a lot of snow and it's really cold where we live, but I love having chickens in the summer and then I give them back come fall. So fun. I love that. Oh, amazing. So great. I feel like we have so much in common, Beth, and I I love that you you call yourself the wannabe farmer. I think that's great, but I'm with you. I love living in rural America. However, where I'm at, we get a heck of a lot less snow. So just mad props to all you cold weather dwellers because I just don't know if I'm tough enough for it. I got to be honest with you. It's it's rough. I um, I actually got my first tattoo last year and it says Sisu, which is a Finnish term about, you know, stoic, stubborn, loyal, 
I'm a hardcore Finlander, and I think only Finlanders can really live up here, to be honest. It is it's rough <laughs> at times. I love that. Fun fact, I actually have been to Finland once. I went to Helsinki, and I think that the most surprising thing to me on my flight to Finland, they asked, like the airplane or the flight attendant asked if we would like coffee, tea, or blueberry juice. And I thought to myself, I have never in my life heard of blueberry juice. I did not know that was a thing. Obviously, I had to order that. Apparently, they raise a lot of blueberries in Finland and they drink blueberry juice like orange juice. So that's my fun finish fact. <laughs> well, it just so happens I live on Moon Lake and we have the blueberry festival every summer because we are the blueberry capital of I don't know what. Uh, we don't even have that many blueberries here, but that's our claim to fame. So I love that. Oh, so cool. So you, I guess that's one of the benefits of the cold. Apparently it's great for blueberries. So we all learn something new every day. So Beth, I wanted to talk to you about your running journey. I love that you said that you started running after a few too many mojitos and just declaring out loud that you were going to train for a half marathon. Have you always been someone who liked running or is this something that's still fairly new to you? What has your relationship with running looked like? So I would say I have a love-hate relationship with running now. When I proclaimed that, um, it'll be 11 years ago this summer, I didn't even own a pair of running shoes. So the idea that I was training first off was a bold-faced lie, but two... I grew up athletic. I've always struggled with my weight. I love doing things outside. I love hiking and backpacking and playing basketball, but I hated running. I never thought I could be a runner. But as I mentioned before, I'm super competitive. And I had a couple of friends at the party, one of whom was seven, eight months pregnant. And she had just ran a half marathon. Totally insane. Wouldn't recommend it. I had another <laughs> friend who was leaving early because he was running a race at midnight and then running a race the next day. And before I even knew it, I heard myself saying, oh, you know, I'm training for a half marathon too. And the drinks were flowing enough that I don't think anyone would have remembered it. But my husband (laughs) gave me that look. And I don't know if you know what look I'm talking about. But when I ask him about it, he always says, I don't even know what you're talking about. I was just confused because you don't own running shoes. Like, I was (laughs) like, did I miss something? I'm convinced he gave me that look of, you can't run a half marathon. Like, what are you talking Mm -hmm. about? And in Mm -hmm. that moment, I was like, I'm going to run a half marathon. And because I had said it, even though no one at that party really remembered or cared, I just was like, now I have to. And so a couple months later, I did. So your running journey was kind of, it sounds like it was born from this just competitiveness that you have innately about you. So you declare to the world, I'm going to run a half marathon. Don't even own running shoes. What did the beginning of that journey look like for you? Super painful. That's the only way I can describe it. And I think being plus size didn't help. And I'm pretty big introvert. And so the first time I decided to go run, get my running shoes, I had made two promises to myself at the race. I'm going to cross the finish line. I'm not going to lose a toenail. And that is something I just, I think it's disgusting. I admire runners who are that committed. I'm not. And so I knew I needed good running shoes. I knew I knew nothing about running shoes, but going into a running store, a specialty running store and getting fitted for shoes was super scary. It was really intimidating. You talked a little bit on a podcast a while ago about imposter syndrome. I felt like the biggest fraud. and But I survived that. And then, you know, every day it was just I kept moving and kept moving and kept doing it. And I think for me, 
you know, even a decade later, like I still finish very much back of the pack. And I think a lot of people have these running stories where they become really good at it or they find their mojo or their runner's high or whatever this thing is. I've never found that. But for me, it's just I like challenging myself and doing something hard and running will never be easy for me. I've long since accepted that. And I think that's why I keep doing it. Mm, that is so interesting. And I'm, what I think is so powerful is that you, you choose to do the thing that's hard because it is hard. You know, when I asked you how that beginning of that journey was for you, you said it was, it was really challenging and painful. And I think a lot of us would think, well, if, if I went out for my first run and it was challenging and painful, I probably wouldn't have shown up for my second. So my question for you is amidst that challenge, amidst that pain, And even now being someone who's been running for years that still finds it challenging, how do you, I guess, work through that discomfort or maybe it's rethinking discomfort or changing that relationship with challenging things? What are your thoughts about that? Um, I think so much of it is defining what success looks like. That's really the only way I can describe it. And for me, you know, I tend to be a perfectionist. I like to be high performing in a lot of areas. And this is one area it's just not happening. And I think for me to say, you know, I would rather be bad at something and still be able to do it is worth more than just saying, well, I'm never going to win this race, so I'm out. And that's sort of the question I ask myself. I go through a lot of ups and downs with running. And whenever I get to that point, I ask myself, well, quit. If you don't like it, like go ride a bike or something. And there's always something that says, well, but I just, I want to do it. I want to keep showing up. And I think, you know, writing the book that I wrote and part of it is a lot of women since I've started running, have started asking me questions. And I think a part of it is, is they see me not defining myself as a runner and like not going to the parties and doing just running like so many runners are. I'm sort of like, I'm okay being bad at it because I'm doing all these other things in life too, that I feel like there's a story there to share. And I've been able to inspire people who, I mean, honestly look at me and say, well, she can do it. I know I can. And that's a really, it's sort of a neat place to be. And just something I don't want to give up. I love that. I think that that's something that's so beautiful about um, stepping out of your comfort zone and doing something scary or challenging is because when we show up and do that, it gives other people permission to do the same, just to be an example of what's possible. So Beth, that's amazing. And I'm sure you've inspired so many people because of that. I want to circle back around to, I I guess I want to talk about identity because I know for myself, I grew up in a bigger body. I've always been someone who struggled with my weight and body image from a very young age. And when I was young, especially, I detested running with every fiber of my being. And I believed the story that I would never and could never be a runner, that it just wasn't possible for me. And on my health journey for myself, it was really about challenging those identities. And the reason that I started running was for the fact of, because I, I wouldn't personally describe myself as an overly competitive person, except maybe when it comes to myself. And so I was on this journey of rethinking who I was and what was actually true versus what was the thought that I just believed for so long that it felt true. And I thought, okay, if I can bust all these other beliefs about myself, what if I could challenge the belief that maybe I could be a runner? But I think that I had this story in my mind for so long of what a runner looked like, what they acted like, that I just never fit that mold. And and I'm curious, I guess, for you being someone who who does exist in a plus size body, 
What are your thoughts about the identity of runner? Did you struggle with that too? Absolutely. And I think it's something I still struggle with. And, you know, and I catch myself saying like, oh, I'm training for a race. And then I'll say, yeah, I'm just going to jog it. Like I'm a jogger. I say I waddle a lot. And the thing that I think helped me was, you know, I have a wall full of medals now and a book and the shoe, you know, you, you get all of this stuff. And at some point you have to be like, okay, I wouldn't have all that stuff if I wasn't a runner. And what is the definition of a runner? And to your point, this idea of, am I good enough to call myself that? And it's sort of like, if you can play piano, you don't feel you have to be Beethoven to call yourself a piano player. And I don't, I don't know why it's like that with running, but I think the bigger struggle I had one, I sometimes, I don't even know if I would call myself a runner now. Um, I'm someone who just runs which I guess by definition makes me a runner. But I think the bigger identity struggle I've had is being a healthy person. And that's mm-hmm. something I've really tried to evolve into and and not worry so much about am I losing the weight or am I, you know, do it, getting another PR or finishing another race, but more am I being healthy? Am I the healthy person I want to be? And what does that mean? And what does that look like? And And that mm-hmm. to me has been a lot harder in some respects. So interesting. And I think it kind of comes back down to like what you said earlier for you, it comes down to defining what success looks like, but it sounds like this part of your journey is also defining what healthy looks like for you. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, my doctor and I talk a lot, you know, she's, she doesn't want me to get caught up on the scale, but really, you know, what are your triglycerides? What are your cholesterol? Are you moving your body? Are you getting enough sleep? Are you um, doing therapy if that's what you need? And all of those things, obviously the weight she would love for me to lose weight, but the more we can define it, not by the scale, I think the better. And, but as someone who's been plus size for many, many years, that's a, that's a big transition. And it's, you know, I'm not, super, super plus size. So I've always sort of lived in that middle world of I'm just a big person. And that's, that's in some respects hard as well. So. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting too, because I think it just comes down back to like our conditioning of what we think a runner looks like, of what we think a healthy person looks like. And I just think that we all live in a society that is so obsessed with health as a metric of weight and what your body physically looks like when the truth is you could be someone who on the outside looks physically fit and thin. And we in our society, I think, equate health with thinness. You could be someone that exists in a thin, athletic looking body and be completely unhealthy. You could be starving yourself. You could be struggling mentally. You could have a sickness. Like there's, I think that we just have a, an obsession, an obsession in our society about with what health physically looks like, what we can see reflected in a mirror that I think we sometimes forget all these other incredible metrics that we have to measure health. Like, are you moving your body? What are your lab results? Are you going to a therapist? Like you said earlier. And I think it's interesting hearing you talk about your relationship with that because I feel like you're you're kind of in that journey. And I feel like I'm in that journey too. You know, I feel like I'm in this, I feel like escaping from diet culture, rethinking my relationship with my body, with health and wellness is going to be a lifelong journey. Do you feel the same way? Absolutely. And I think relearning and relearning and relearning 
and just continuing to evolve. I, you know, every time I think I'm starting to figure it out, life throws another curveball. And (laughs) isn't that the um, truth? Yeah. And aging is not fun. And, you know, the whole body after a baby and trying to balance, you know, working full time and being a mom and doing all the things like all of that stuff. Every time you, you feel any sort of traction, there's another, another surprise. And I think just being open to evolving and, and really thinking about what is, and the question I ask myself, and I totally stole this from James Clear and Atomic Habits is just, you know, what kind of habits can I make and what would a healthy version of myself do? And sometimes a healthy version of myself needs to eat the cake and that's, Mm -hmm. and then not be mad at myself about it. And other times it's, I need to do a six mile run today and vent out some frustration and, and sweat my brains out. And both of those are right. And that's the hard thing for me is, you know, right can be many, many, many different things. Mm, So good. So good. Yeah. I love James Clear. Atomic Habits is one of my favorite, favorite books. And I believe so much in the power of habits. I think I talk about it on most of my episodes. So I think that that is, is so beautiful. And you know, the way you describe it, you know, I think that sometimes we think, okay, I have this goal. When am I going to arrive? But when it comes to health and wellness, or even like your relationship with yourself and your body, there is no arrival, right? It is lifelong. And I this this podcast is called Climbing. And the, the truth is, is that when you climb and you get to the top of one mountain, you notice that you're at the base of another. Like life is a series of mountain ranges. There's lots of ups, there's lots of downs. And I think that the most important piece is learning how to love ourselves through every step of the journey. You know, I saw recently you shared a blog post talking about your birthday. You recently had a birthday and you talked about, you know, aging and whatnot. You know, I think we have this idea too, especially when it comes to health and wellness, people think I want to lose this much weight so I can look a certain way. But the truth is, is that we're always going to change, right? Every single day we're aging, our body's going to change and change and evolve. You mentioned motherhood, right? If you go through having a child, of course, your body's going to change and evolve. So I guess, Beth, what does it look like to you to love yourself through all of these changes, especially as it relates to aging, like you recently shared about? I mean, I think it's defining what matters, you know, a lot about what's your why and your core values. And I've spent a lot of time on that. And then looking at your life and saying how many of those things are in alignment and how do I make them all in alignment or as many as humanly possible. And the hardest part is not losing sight of that because someone else has different priorities and it's the shiny object to the left. And you think, oh, maybe that's the path. When I think if you stick to your heart, you know, what those priorities and values are and, and living those out. And my dad, he had a lot of health conditions and he died um, Christmas uh, in December, 2020. And I watched him battle with just body stuff for a really long time. And I think a big part of me for my alignment is I don't want my kid to have to see that with me. And so I think for me, I don't need to lose 100 pounds, but I need to be around for another, you know, 100 years if I can. Probably not, but I want to give it, you know, I want to be around as long as humanly possible and I want to be healthy. And my kid's really athletic. And, you know, right now my goal is to be able to beat him in basketball when he's 12. You know, I can do it now because I have a three foot height advantage, but he's getting really good and I have to keep up with him. And that's super important to me. So a lot of those kinds of things are what's driving my health goals right now. And that's actually really fun. I mean, I love playing basketball with my kid, but I can't do it if I'm not healthy. So Mm, 
I love that so much. And I think when we can get really, really clear on that deep rooted why, and even go another layer deeper, when we think we know our why, ask again, why, you know, and I think that as a mom, I'm sure that's so powerful of, I want to be healthy so that I can be present with my child for as long as possible. And I think that's beautiful. And I think when we get really clear on that, it's easier for us to tune out everything else that might be noise. You know, the distractions from, oh, I want to get healthy so I can look a certain way or act a certain way or have what someone else has. And instead just looking inwards and asking like, what actually matters to me? The people I love most and being there for them. That's so powerful, Beth. So true. So I'm curious, you know, we talk a lot on this podcast about mindset. And in my experience with running, I believe that running is so much more of a mental mindset journey, almost more so than it is physical. I mean, don't get me wrong. It is physical for sure. But I did not expect when I first got into running how much of it was going to be a mental game. I'm curious for you, Beth, as it relates to running, but also as it relates to your own health journey, what role do you think mindset plays in that for you? A lot. I mean, it's probably, and especially for me, because I'm not trying to finish in, you know, do a half marathon in an hour and a half. I'm really trying to just cross the finish line. I want to say it's probably 80% mindset because for me, it's, it's allocating the time and then doing it. And where I live, weather is a great excuse. Flies are a great excuse. I don't really like sweating. I, you know, there's a kid, there's a job, there's drinks with friends, there's a million things keeping me from doing it. And so if I don't make it a priority, it doesn't happen. And that is so much about mindset. And it's so much about saying, okay, I've, I've taken a lot of shortcuts on trainings before and you pay the price come race day for sure. And so I think, you know, consistency and not, I mean, I, so James Clare and Atomic Habits is to your point, one of my favorite books, but just making it manageable. So, you know, setting a smaller, you know, I'm going to run five days a week, but I'm only going to do it for 25 minutes is is better than trying to do one four-hour run on a Sunday and then skipping it, you know, and that's that's really been part of my sort of reassessing how I make sure that I'm showing up for myself. Mm, so good. And I think that also circles back to what does success look like? Like meet yourself in the season that you're in and maybe it, maybe if you're someone that wants to start running for the first time ever, maybe success for you this week looks like just buying a pair of running shoes and walking around the block. You know, how can you set those small baby step goals? And I think when we simplify it, even if we only commit to two minutes or 10 minutes, you know, I know James Clear talks about his, his two minute rule, um, getting consistent in showing up first is more important than how long or well you do it once. It's being able to show up regularly. So that is, is so, so powerful. I truly believe that if you change your habits, you can change your life. Our life is the result of the habits that we practice daily. Improving your life isn't about making some scary, drastic change overnight. It's about meeting yourself where you're at and making small changes over time that you can actually stick with. But you've got to start small to stay consistent which is why I put together a free healthy habits checklist to help you do just that. Download my free PDF to set your intentions for what small healthy habits you are going to start practicing today. There's a place for you to check them off the list and celebrate every single baby step along the way. 
you can download yours for free at coachkayacommunity.com forward slash healthy dash habits, or you can click the link below. Again, that's coachkayacommunity.com forward slash healthy dash habits, or click the link in the show notes to download yours today for free. Start changing your life, friend, one healthy habit at a time. You know, you, you wrote a book that in itself is a whole, a whole nother mountain to climb, right? Being someone myself who has it on my vision board um, and in my long-term plans to write a book too, I'm at that place currently where it's just an idea that I have on my heart. I like to tell myself that my journal entries in the morning are the beginnings of a book maybe, but I haven't fully committed to it yet. I've got some other projects going on right now, but I do have that feeling of standing at the base of a mountain, looking up at the peak, thinking, writing a book, finishing a book looks so far away right now. It seems so hard. Tell me what inspired you to write your book and what that process looked like for you. Did you find that to be a whole nother challenging journey? Absolutely. And it was pretty messy. I think pretty much everything in my life is messy, but that's good. (laughs) Um, I think, you know, I was a journalist in my first job. Now I do more of the marketing side of things. And when I left journalism, I always thought, oh, well, now I'll have time to write a book. And I probably started 20 books, never finished any of them. And then I did a lot of freelance writing. And it was an awesome distraction from writing the book because I felt like I was writing all the time, but I was writing for other people and I was writing things that I cared about, but not something you would put like make a book out of, you know, it was more articles. And when I, and I actually, what ended up happening was I actually went to a Rachel Hollis conference, which is a whole different story. But at that conference, I decided, you know what, this is the year I need to just write the book and forget about all the reasons that I'm not going to be able to get an agent and get it published. I can't quit my job. Like there were all the things that I, that were making me put it off. And I said, you know what, I'm just going to self-publish a book. And if no one reads it, I don't care because I think if I do it once, then I'll be able to do it better the next time. And so I just, similar thing, I put a Facebook post out to my friends and said, I'm writing a book and it's going to be published by the end of the year with no, like, I don't know. I didn't know how I was going to do it. I knew the topic just because so many friends had been asking me and telling me I should write one. So that part was easy. Um, But then a month later, the pandemic hit. And so that was interesting. But it's very similar to the half marathon. I I gave myself a deadline and I said, I'm going to publish something by December. It might be garbage, but it's going to be a self-published book. And that's that. And I actually got the books delivered on, I think it was like December 18th. And my dad died December 24th. And so it was Mm. one of the last things he saw. And so I feel like There was a little bit of magic in that. And it turned out, I mean, the book has done way better than I thought it would. I've learned a lot about the process. And sure, there are a lot of things I did wrong. There's a lot of things I would do differently. But the heart of the book, the story, the people I've been able to help and the people that I, you know, it was it was fun when my friends reached out to me and said, oh, I loved your book. But the first time a stranger wrote to me and said, oh, you know, I just went and bought my first pair of running shoes because of you. I was bawling because I was like, mm. I never thought any and the self-publishing world is just pretty phenomenal, frankly, that people can find your stuff that you don't know. And and if I hadn't done that, I would still be scratching my head on how do I get an agent And I think that really sort of set the ball to say, yep, you can do it. Now you can do it better. 
And so now I'm working on my second book. So. Oh, so cool. That is so amazing, Beth. And what I think is so crucial here though, is that willingness to let it be messy. Because I think the other thing that holds us back so much is to think like, well, I don't know how to do it. I'm going to do it wrong. I'm going to do it messy. But where did where did this unrealistic expectation come from where we think that we can do something once and have it be phenomenal, right? Like you have to be willing to suck before you're willing to be better. You have to go through that phase. And I think we just, the biggest thing in our own way most of the time is ourselves. And I love that you were able to just do that. And I'm I'm definitely noticing a pattern here, Beth. You are, you put it out into the world, you make it public, you tell the people. So then you're like, okay, I guess I told them I'm running a half marathon. I guess I told them I'm writing a book. So now I better show up and make it happen. And I do think that there is power in declaring your intentions, put out into the universe and then showing up and making it happen. So what an inspiration, Beth. You know, I, you shared with me, I'm so sorry for the loss of your father. I'm sure that was such such a challenging time mixed with this, I guess I would imagine also exciting and proud time of you to be, you know, at the summit of this journey, this accomplishment, holding space for yourself to be excited and proud and in that same space now having to grieve the loss of someone so close to you. This next book is about that grief journey. Is that correct? Yeah, you know, and it's weird because I actually had the idea. So I lost my mom when I was 18, and that was really, you know, the book that I've probably started 30 times in the last 25 plus years is the story of losing my mom at 18. And it never, like, the storyline never felt right, and I never felt the timing was right. And I was like, well, I haven't learned enough, or what am I going to share? And then losing my dad right when the when this book came out, I realized in that moment it wasn't so much about, grief in the sense of losing someone you love, but it's more a book about loss. And so many of the losses that we experience in life that we just don't talk about, or there's this expectation that, you know, um, you lose a best friend, or you get in a fight with someone, or you outgrow a friendship. And then it's, it's like, oh, well, you should just move on and life goes on. Or it was really interesting, because my dad was sick for a long time before he died. And he was older. And there was definitely this expectation of like somehow that would be easier than losing my mom at 18. And it's like, no, it's it's just different. And I think the thing with grief is it doesn't end. It just sort of changes. And there's not a lot of books out there that sort of just say, you know, it's and it's it's a little hard to say to someone. I guess sort of the impetus for the book is a lot of my friends have lost their parents And they ask me, does it ever get easier? And I think the answer they want me to say is yes, Mm -hmm. but I'm an honest person. And I say, well, I mean, I hate to be the breaker of bad news. It doesn't get easier. It just gets different. And there will be years where I don't think about my mom on certain holidays. And then I became a mom and it was like, it was like I was losing her all over again, Mm -hmm. even though it had been 20 years. And I'm having the same thing with my dad But there's just so many other scenarios, like whether it's a job change or, you know, when you get married and you give up your last name. I know you went through that recently. Like, that's a big, I mean, changing your name. I, it was like a whole part of my life was gone. Or the first time my husband and I, we did a family plan on our cell phone before we were married and you would think you were signing your life away. It's like, (laughs) you have all of these weird losses through life that. I just think it's worth spending some time exploring that. And there's some, not misery loves company, because I don't want to sound like it's a total downer book, but there is some 
some joy in knowing that what you're feeling is normal. Mm, And I think the more we can normalize grief, the better. And so it's, it's, it's a lighthearted look at loss, but with some pretty heavy losses in it. So it's a, it's a all over the place book for sure. Man, I love that because I think the thing that connects us all is just being able to have someone be able to describe something or an experience or a feeling and hearing someone else say me too. Like what connects us all at the end of the day is our common humanity and being a human is beautiful and messy and heartbreaking and joyful and sorrowful and all of the things wrapped up in one. And I also think it's interesting hearing you talk about grief. You know, grief, yes. I think when we originally think of grief, we think about it with these big, heavy losses of like a parent or a child or a friend or a loved one, but how grief shows up in small ways too. You know, it's funny you bring that up about the the family plan or changing your last name. I always give my husband a hard time because he's someone who, I don't know if it's that he's Maybe it's part of him resisting getting older and it's like every passing thing is a sign that he's getting older. Like he went through a grieving process when we first moved in together, which I totally get, right? He goes from being the single guy in his own apartment to moving in with a a roommate, his, his girlfriend at the time. And then when we moved, one of our roommates had moved out and we moved from the upstairs bedroom to the downstairs bedroom. And he went through a whole grieving process with that. I'm like, it's a, we're in the same house. Like, it's just so interesting, but we can have grief for seasons of life, small things, big things. And so I'm, I'm just so excited to see, see that story in the world and be able to read it because I think it's going to really just hold space for so many people as it comes to loss. So I am rooting you on as you embark on this, this next adventure. Y'all, I love my smartwatch. Not only does it help me get where I need to be on time, usually, but it also helps me be more mindful and aware of my physical activity, sleep quality, heart rate, and so much more. The hardest part though, having it match my outfits and feel as glamorous as I'd like to, but not anymore. Thanks to Sparkle Bands, I have a variety of adorable, chic, and upcycled quality leather watch bands perfect for every outfit. From my cowhide bands to the tooled leather Kaya's Confidence Band with turquoise gemstones that I designed alongside the team. Now my smartwatch feels just as fashionable as I do. This women-owned company is located just down the street from me in my hometown, and I can attest they take their quality and their customers to heart. Check out their variety of high fashion watch bands and more at sparklebands.com. That's S-P-A-R-K-L-B-A-N-D-S.com. And use code KAYA10 to receive 10% off at checkout. Happy shopping. This now being your second book, how are you feeling going into it this time? I mean, I know I can do it, but I think I'm setting the bar a little higher. I really, you know, I do want to have an agent. I actually do want to get it published through a publishing company. I want to spend a lot more time editing it. So I think I'm putting a lot more pressure on myself. But the thing that I'm just as committed to as I was in the last book is just being super brutally honest about my experience. And and grief is a hard one because I think there are a lot of universal emotions and but there's a lot of sort of expectations that go with that and just staying true to my experience and and really honing in on the fact that I'm not a therapist. This is not a self-help book. It's just a storybook um, is really important too. But it's it's been a lot more fun in some respects, but I'm sure there will be a lot of curveballs in the coming months as I get closer to finishing it. Sure, absolutely. So Beth, I call this podcast climbing because I do feel like 
whatever season we're in, we're climbing some type of a mountain, right? And I know I talked that there's lots of mountain ranges, but in this season, what is a mountain that you feel like you are currently climbing in your life or in your career? I think last year, you know, after my dad died, because I had spent about 10 years in some way caring for him, and suddenly I had this huge blank page and my son's getting a little more independent and um, I work in healthcare. And so with the pandemic calming down a little, it was like all of these things sort of, I don't want to say came to a screeching halt, but I suddenly had a lot more space in my life to do things for me and figuring out what those were, were sort of hard and fun. And I'm not someone that's really good at having fun, which sounds weird, but I'm a pretty serious person. And so I said, okay, I'm going to give myself space to just have fun. What does that look like? And I just sort of stared at a blank page. And I'm like, the fact that I'm making a list just says how fun of a person I am. Like, let's (laughs) be real. But I wrote some stuff down and it was weird. It's like rock polishing and growing sunflowers. And um, I developed a yes day for my son. Obviously, I stole that from a movie, but it was really important for me to just be a little more spontaneous and doing some more travel and stuff. And that doesn't sound like that big of a challenge, but as someone who's like, I was trying to, I don't know, do and be something bigger to just say, I'm just going to be in this moment and, mm-hmm. and laugh a little more and be, you know, a little bit of that crazy mom and just not necessarily go for the promotion at work. I don't even know what that would be at this point, but just to be content in my job and not try to go get another degree or, you know, read a thousand books or, you know, write 10 books versus, you know, one. I just, that's been, that's been my biggest challenge and to not lose sight of that when, you know, that old habit of wanting to really just I don't know, try to conquer the world comes up to just say, why do I keep doing that? And I'd much rather try this version. So Mm, I love that so much, Beth, because I feel like, I don't know, you know, as someone personally who is such a big dreamer and I'm an Enneagram three, so I'm also an achiever. I've always got these big odd audacious dreams and goals. And I think for me, the words that I picked for myself this year, I guess the mantra that I chose for this year, and I think I've mentioned on the podcast in the past, are the words just this. And it's my reminder to myself that I can't change anything in the past. Nothing in the future is guaranteed. I'm not even guaranteed a minute from now. All that I really have is just this and just this moment. And personally, I feel like in this season of trying to hold space for my big, crazy, beautiful dreams that I have for my life, uh, also not letting those dreams distract me from being really, really present in the magic of the dream I'm currently living. And so, you know, you mentioned that making a list of the fun things to do doesn't make me sound very fun, but I, I, I can imagine that being someone who has all these responsibilities of caring for so many other people and finding yourself in this new season. It's kind of like our fun muscle hasn't been worked out in a while. And it's like trying to get back into that routine. Like, I don't know if, if it makes sense to describe it as a muscle, but I think it's beautiful. What a, what a gift to give yourself to be like, I'm actually not going to strive for the things that I maybe would have in the past because I'm going to get more real and honest about what's most important to me now, which might actually just be being present having fun like what a free feeling yeah my mantra for 2022 is just the word enough 
Mm. Like I have enough, I'm doing enough. I don't need to do or be more right this minute. Maybe in a year I'll have some new, big, crazy, audacious thing. But right now, like just giving myself the space to figure out what that might be in this season of my life is a gift I've never given myself. And so, yeah, it's, and it's been pretty wild. I mean, I'll say the last, the first six months were really scary because I just felt like, like, oh my God, I'm just wasting my life away. Even though I was still doing things, it just, it didn't feel like I had a plan or a, or a goal or a, and then, you know, you start doing some of the fun things. You're like, oh yeah, this isn't that bad. Like, and I'm still doing, like, I still have goals. It's just, they're not all consuming. Yeah. So it's been pretty wild. I love that. And it's, it's almost like counterintuitive to think that my goal is actually to stop striving and just be present, but that can sometimes be the hardest thing of all. And, you know, it kind of makes me think a little bit about like Glennon Doyle. I'm not sure if you listen to her books or read her books or listen to her podcast, but she's kind of about the mantra of like, let's stop doing everything. Like, let's just (laughs) say no to everything. And it's such a counterintuitive approach, but I think it's so beautiful because I think we can get so caught up in the hustle and bustle of life and wanting more and needing more that we never even stop and ask ourselves, why? What am I doing all this for in the first place? Which kind of leads me to my one of my last questions for you, which is, you know, all of this being said, what does success look like for you right now in this season? Um, I think for me, success right now is getting to the end of the each, getting to the end of the day and saying, okay, did I do what I wanted to do today? And did I sort of move one step closer to who I want to be. And sometimes that means no traction at all. And that's what I needed. And sometimes it means maybe, you know, I did the run or I drank the shake or I read the book that maybe I didn't necessarily want to read or whatever that might be. Just really being able to reflect back at the end of the day and say, yep, this is, this is closer to what I want to do. And I totally hear you on the part about saying no to things. I've gotten really good. I used to be someone who said yes to everything because I felt I might miss out on some opportunity, especially like with boards and volunteering. And I've really now gotten to the point where my default answer is no. And you better have a really compelling case for why I should say yes. And remember the first few times I said no to some friends and they were like, well, why? And I was like, I, I don't want to. They're like, oh, good reason. Like, <laughs> it's like, wow, you, you're actually just going to say, no, that's cool. That's a thing. And I think the more we can do that, the better. Because, yeah, life's really short. It's not really short, but it's just, it's what you make of it. And so why, on the things you have choices for, why choose something you don't want to do? And that's mm. something that I'm really striving for. I love that. No is, um, flexing my no muscle is something I continue to work on. I am getting better for sure, but I still am, tend to get distracted by shiny objects and FOMO and wanting to do all the things, but it's, I'm a work in progress as we all are for sure. Beth, I have just loved having this conversation with you and getting to know you, you more and all the exciting, wonderful things and just truths that you're sharing with the world and letting other people see themselves in your story. I cannot wait to see when the next book comes out. For those that want to connect with you, read your first book, follow along, where can folks get in touch with you or follow you or grab that first book of yours? Sure. So I'm on Instagram at Beth Probst. Um, My 
blog is called circletouradventures.com. It's a little bit of everything from motherhood to running to I'm a huge book nerd, so I do a lot of book reviews and share a lot of what I'm reading on there. Yeah, so those are the two best places to follow me, and you can pretty much buy my book anywhere online that books are sold. Amazing. And I will make sure to link all of those in the show notes as well. Beth, anything else you want to let the folks hear before we wrap up our chat today? I don't think so. I just, I'm, it was really an honor to be on this show. I think it's really crazy how social media connects people. And it's been really fun watching you live out your life. And I'm super excited to keep following your new projects and seeing where it takes you. And hopefully our paths um, cross someday again in person. Oh, I hope so, man. I just, uh, now that the world is slowly opening back up, I'm just so hungry to get to see and hug all of the people I've been so grateful to connect with through social media. It is such a powerful medium and I'm so glad that it connected me to you, Beth, and that you took the time out of your day to be here on the show and pour into our listeners. And I cannot wait to see all the goodness you continue to share with the world. Thanks so much for being on. And for the rest of y'all, thank you so much for being here and tuning in. We'll see you right back here, same time, same place next week. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of the Climbing with Coach Kaya podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please hit subscribe and leave me a review sharing what you loved most. Come hang out with me on Instagram and Facebook to keep the conversation going as we continue to find joy in the journey. Until next time, I am cheering for you, friend. Keep climbing and we'll chat soon.